As we uh, turn to the scripture, we'll be reading from Mark uh, chapter 1 as we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Mark, you'll remember, is uh, introduced to us as the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark will spend, of course, the better part of his, uh, of his book focused on that last week of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will uh, certainly uh, have lots of time to spend there in that last week of the Lord Jesus. But here we see in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark uh, the road that led him uh, to that week. Uh, and especially this morning we want to see those who uh, were called to follow him. And so we're going to read this morning from Mark 1. I'll read verses 14 to 20. And we're going to be looking specifically this morning at verses 16. Uh, through 20. And remember now what we just uh, sang together, uh, that uh, as we read the pages of Scripture, uh, that if you're a Christian today, uh, as you read the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit is there reading its pages with you. And let's remember that today as we hear now the word of the Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, uh, proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the sea, alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we need your help. Uh, We need the help of your Holy Spirit as, Lord, we've just sung together to read with us these pages. And now, Lord, to open our hearts and and minds to the truth of what you have for us in this passage. And pray that you would do that gracious work even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Jesus, uh, we found out last time, preached. Uh, he was a preacher. And he preached the gospel of God. That is, there's good news that comes from God himself. And it's about him. Uh, that's what the gospel's about. He preached the time is fulfilled. So in the coming of Jesus, as we're reading these pages here in the Gospel of Mark, time is fulfilled. That means that uh, all of redemptive history, God's great plan of salvation throughout time, is coming to a climax right now. Here in Mark chapter 1, as Jesus comes on the scene, He preached the kingdom of God is, is at hand. That means the reign and the rule of the King, Jesus, who has now appeared uh, on the earth. His reign and rule has begun. It's drawn near. And he preached, repent and believe in this good news. That is, turn away from sin, self and idols and embrace by faith this King who has come to rescue us and to inaugurate a new reign and rule in our life uh, and through us, through uh, the world itself. Well, uh, in order to get the gospel uh, right, the good news right, we need to understand then that the gospel is much bigger than we usually think of it. It is not uh, limited to my personal salvation, but as we found out last time, involves the reign and rule of King Jesus over every realm of life. And that 
is good news. The reign and rule, wouldn't that be good? If over every area of life, well, that is the new heavens and the new earth, but that's what Jesus has begun, even in his ministry here in the Gospel of Mark, the reign and rule of Jesus. But will any believe it? Who's going to believe this message? Um, it's one thing, of course, to have a message. Uh, it's another to have followers. It's one thing to be a teacher, uh, but where will disciples uh, be found? And what kind of disciples will they be? Well, that's what we find out in this next portion of the Gospel of Mark. What kind of followers uh, are going to uh, believe this message? So the first thing we have here in Mark 1, 16, is we have the profile of a kingdom now disciple. Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. What does a disciple uh, who understands the kingdom is coming in Jesus, what does that disciple look like? Verse 16 says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, uh, for they were, they were fishermen. Now, in today's world, if you want to succeed... Uh, you better be good at putting together uh, an amazing profile. You know, whether you are opening an account on Facebook or uh, Twitter or Instagram or something like that, starting a blog, maybe you're on TikTok or something like that. Uh, or if uh, you're still a bit of a dinosaur like me and you actually read newspapers and magazines, and uh, I even read old newspapers and old magazines. I am that much of a dinosaur. Uh, but whenever you're about to read an article, wherever it appears by an author, you want to have a pretty good idea of who the author is. Uh, what kind of credentials do they have? You know, what school did they get their degree from? Or who did they study under? Or what are their life accomplishments? We want to see the profile of the person. So here we have Jesus. John already told us he's mighty, he's worthy, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, he's faced down the evil one, he's heard the testimony of his father, he's filled with the Holy Spirit beyond measure, uh, he's begun his ministry. Now, who is he going to choose to be his closest allies in his time upon the earth? Well, maybe he would check LinkedIn, you know, check LinkedIn and get some feedback on some people or some kind of online data tool. No, he's... He's passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Now, remember elsewhere in Scripture, Galilee is described as the land of darkness. Uh, people here dwelling in the shadow of death. Uh, that's where the light dawns, Galilee. And he's walking along this sea, and he finds two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew uh, and James and John. And he engages them in conversation. But it's not going to be an ordinary conversation. This, in fact, is going to be uh, the call of Jesus to follow or to come after. Uh, it's a special call to discipleship. To be some, A disciple is someone simply who uh, follows another, who follows a teacher, uh, a follower. They were to leave their work and give themselves full time to being with Jesus uh, to learn from him. They no doubt would still fish from time to time, uh, but they were being called to a new life. Now, of course, right away, um, something should strike you as strange about who Jesus first calls to be his disciples. Now, think about this. The rest of the Bible, of course, will tell us uh, in Ephesians, for instance, that the apostles, apostles and prophets uh, are called uh, the foundation of the church. Uh, Jesus is the cornerstone, but upon the apostles and prophets, the church uh, will, be, will be built. 
And these uh, men whom we start to hear of here will form the, the apostolic band, if you will. And who's going to serve as that foundation? What kind of folks? Well, we find out in the scripture it's not going to be judges or lawyers or doctors or governors or kings or Pharisees or Sadducees or Herodians. Uh, but they indeed will be uh, they will be fishermen. Now, have you ever got the impression from reading the Bible that God or you should have gotten the impression from reading the Bible that God doesn't look at people uh, the same way we do? God doesn't look at people the same way we do. That is giving, first of all, attention to their external appearance. Remember in James 4, James will uh, talk about uh, the fact that, you know, when someone comes to church, if someone comes dressed in, uh, like a rich man, typically a church will give that person preferential treatment, uh, give them a seat at the front. And we've got lots of seats at the front here, by the way. Um, but if, if a rich man comes in, you give him the seat in the front. And uh, James says, though, if a homeless person comes in, well, their seat's up in the balcony or, you know, the back uh, the back row. That's how James says that's, that's how it kind of goes. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, of course, remember, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And even then, man's heart, of course, is naturally wicked. So it's not that God calls people who have good hearts. There's no one who does good. Uh, we're dead in sin. But the point is that God is primarily concerned with, with heart transformation and not playing dress up. God's concerned with heart transformation, what really, uh, your inner being that will transform everything, transform everything else. And uh, when God does call people, he does things like this. Paul describes it, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's the thing, see? Not many were, you might be wise, but not, it's not worldly standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring into nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Jesus calls smelly, Dirty fishermen. Uh, our family, years ago, a long time ago, uh, we were in New York City. And I was driving our family. I don't know how many kids we had. I don't think it was very many. But we were driving around New York City. Oh, yeah, we lived in Lisbon. And we were driving somewhere down to Virginia, I think. We wanted to go to Williamsburg. And so, so I thought to myself, oh, this will be fun. Let's just, let's just drive through New York City. I've never been there before. Yeah, let's just drive through. Hey, Lisa? And so we did. And then at one point, we're in Manhattan, I think. And, uh, and I'm looking up and I'm thinking, I think we came across that bridge. Uh, how do I get there? You know? And so I started driving around New York City and there's cobblestone streets. And, and I'm lost. Although I can see the bridge. So that's good. Uh, but I'm lost. And so eventually, we, uh, I, this isn't good. I'm thinking, eventually, you know, eventually I'll find my way up. But no, no, I, I, this isn't good. I'm going to have to stop. And so we stopped down by the water somewhere, and I, uh, I opened the door of the vehicle, and immediately, the smell of fish uh, just pours into the car. 
And I thought, oh, <laughs> I guess we're in the fishing district. And so I uh, asked somebody. We got, we got out of New York City, if you're wondering about the end of that story. But, but oh, the smell. The smell of fish. Um, we don't need to assume these fishermen were dummies. Uh, that they uh, you know, couldn't tie their sandals. But remember in Acts 4, the religious leaders knew, remember that Acts 4 will say, they knew that these men were common, uneducated men. But it was clear they'd been with Jesus. After all, that's the point. That is, uh, these men had no seminary degree. They didn't go to Jerusalem College for the gifted. Uh, there was no so-called higher education for them. No all-expense-paid scholarships for these men. No great reputation or fame. Just a couple of sets of brothers going about their daily routine, their normal work. And that's what the Bible says. Verse 16, they're casting a net into the sea. Verse 19, they're mending their nets at work with their father, Zebedee. Just doing the normal things of life. Faithfully laboring at their vocation. Not rich, not necessarily poor, but simply providing for their families. And in fact, what stands out to us most about these men is the very fact that these men uh, don't stand out to us at all. (laughs) They are ordinary Yes, God's pleased to use and call ordinary men and women and children to be his kingdom disciples. And yes, God will do extraordinary things with them and through them. You know what's coming in the gospel story. He will transform them, being with Jesus, witnessing his sinless life, his miracles, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his ascension. Uh, This will all transform those Uh, who are with Jesus into absolutely fearless kingdom disciples in the Gospel of Acts, or the book of Acts. And they'll be ready to die for Jesus. And you know that church history tells us that all but one of the apostles would, would die a martyr's death. So that's coming. But all the extraordinary in their life comes from God, who takes ordinary men and women and children like you and me and calls us into his service. And that is extraordinary. These men were called to be apostles. They had a special role to play later. would serve as the foundation of the church, but they're simply humble servants of God with a lot to learn along the way. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, For God who said, let light shine out... Think about this. For God who said... It takes us to creation. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness... Think about what power that takes has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. This is what it's about. It's the gospel of God. You've got to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this, but we have this treasure in, remember, jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, friends, that should encourage you. It encourages me. We are ordinary men and women and children. And God calls us into His service. Jesus calls us. We're working at our jobs, laboring where we are in the home, in the office, in the kitchen, raising our kids at school, uh, raising them at home, caring for parents, weeding the garden, whatever it is. Extraordinary folks. Said the Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, uh, in the 19th century, it's not so much great talents that God uses as it is great likeness to Jesus. Common, uneducated men. But they knew they had been with Jesus. Now, so that's, a, that's the profile of the kingdom disciple. They're just ordinary fishermen. But secondly, uh, we find the calling of a kingdom disciple. 
Uh, now, if you thought Jesus' choice of kingdom disciples was a little strange, this is really going to throw you. Verse 17. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Fishers of men. Now, this calling of Jesus involves a command and a promise. The command is to follow or come after Jesus, and then the promise is, I will make you become fishers of men. Now, for Simon and Andrew, of course, they must have no doubt wondered at what this promise was all about. Now, catching fish, of course, they knew something about. Unlike me. I don't know anything about catching fish. I think I fished three times in my life. When, once when I was a little boy, my brother, older brother took me fishing, didn't catch anything. Um, got older, went fishing once with my friends, didn't catch anything. Uh, one day, tried to teach uh, my children how to fish. We didn't catch anything. That was about the end for me of fishing. Um, but these men did. Fishing in the Sea of Galilee, they knew something about. Storms would rise quickly. They better get that boat in. Nets for hauling in fish. Yes, that made sense. But what does it mean to be a fisher of men? Well, way back in 1699, the Scottish Puritan pastor Thomas Boston came across this phrase in the Bible. He meditated then on this question. Why in the language of Jesus are unconverted men compared to fish in the water? And this is what he said. Among other reasons, they are so because as the water is the natural element of fish, so sin is the proper and natural element for an unconverted soul. Take the fish out of the water, it cannot live. And take from a natural man his idols, and he's ready to say with Micah, you've taken away my gods. And what have I more? It's in sin that the only delight of natural men is. But in holiness, they have no more delight than a fish upon the earth. Or a sow in a palace. The fish in a sunny day are seen to play themselves in the water. So the unregenerate, whatever grief they may seem to have upon their spirits, when a storm arises, either without, by outward troubles, or within, by conscious gnawing convictions, yet when these are over and they're in a prosperous state, they, they play themselves in the way of sin. It's our natural habitat. We like to play in, the, in, the, in sin. You know, this is what Boston's talking about. As the fish, says Boston, greedily look after and snatch at the bait, not minding the hook. Even so, natural men drink in sin greedily as the ox drinketh in the water. They look on sin as a sweet morsel and it's to them sweet in the mouth, though it's bitter in the belly. And then he says this, as fish are altogether unprofitable as long as in the water, as you can't eat them in the water, there's no good to humanity in the water, so are wicked men in their natural estate. They can do nothing that is really good. And that's true. According to God's standard, someone who does not know the Lord cannot do anything truly good. Because whatever is good, the Bible says, has to be done uh, out of faith. That's how Thomas Boston said men are like fish and they need to be brought out of the, the water of their sin. But notice Jesus gives a promise. Uh, he will make these disciples become fishers of men. They will be catchers of men. Uh, it's as if uh, God has a great gospel net. Jesus is calling disciples to follow him, come after him, labor with him in bringing in uh, the great catch. Now, Jesus uses similar metaphors uh, to describe this, think of Jesus using that metaphor of uh, praying that the Lord would raise up laborers for the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful. 
uh, but the workers are few. So in this case, there's many fish, but there's not enough folks um, casting out and drawing in the nets. Notice also the order of Jesus' call to these disciples. It is first, follow, and then I will make you. There's no fishing without fellowship with Jesus. After the day of Pentecost, of course, the uh, apostles, that's when they were boldly proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, willing to defy the authorities when they came in conflict with the commands of God. And the religious authorities, remember, they saw their boldness. They said, these men have been with Jesus. Um, But first follow, and then fish. They were followers of Jesus. You will not catch anything without Jesus. There's no witness for Christ without union with Christ. Uh, the Lord is not going to fill this church with believers unless those who are already in this church are believers. We can't uh, fish for Christ unless we are first with Christ. You will not be used of God to draw people to Christ. I will not be used of God to draw people to Christ unless you and I ourselves are already in Christ and near Christ. Think about it this way. Think of a parent telling their, their children... Uh, I love Jesus. And Jesus, as we sing in When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Jesus, kids, demands your life, your soul, your all. Oh, but yeah, no, we're, uh, we're not going to worship tonight. I, I got something going on. So, kids, give your life to Jesus. Because He is preeminent. He is supreme. He is worthy of all your affection. Um, Dad, we're going to church this morning? Oh, no. You got a, don't you got a ball game, son? See how that goes? No one will be caught, and certainly not our covenant children, will be drawn to the, the, the glory of God in the face of Christ unless we ourselves are not first followers of Christ. And giving that example to our children. Are you going to convince anyone to take up a certain diet? You know, if you yourself have never been on that diet. How are you going to uh, make anyone a fan of the Phillies when you are a Yankees fan? Follow. Then fish. The call of a kingdom disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. That is walking after Jesus. Come after me, says Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus isn't physically on the earth, but we follow Jesus in the Gospels. That's what we're doing right now. In the Scripture, by the Spirit. We go where He goes. We love what He loves. We hate what He hates. He leads, and we follow. It should remind us of the story in Joshua, when the people are about to walk around the walls of Jericho. You remember The angel of the Lord appears to Joshua as a man with a drawn sword. And Joshua asks the angel, are you for us or for our adversaries? Whose side are you on? Oh, you remember that? It's a great passage. And the angel replies, no. Now, wait a minute. He he didn't ask a yes or no question. He said, are are you on our side or on their side? And the angel of the Lord just says, no, but I I am come uh, as the commander of the Lord's armies. In other words... I am in charge here. Uh, I'm not here to join your side. I'm here to lead this battle. It's you 
who best get in line and follow me, says the commander of the Lord's army. I'm the commander here. I'm the leader. Jesus does not come to meet our preconceived notions of how things should go. Jesus does not fit himself into our categories or our list of options or the beautiful plan we have for our life. You ever find that? That you know, you've got a beautiful plan for your life, but the Lord just doesn't seem to... That's because he leads and we follow. Too many Christians, professing Christians, get this backward. Instead of following Jesus where he leads, we want Jesus to follow us. We set the agenda uh, or allow the culture or the latest fad passing through. Set the agenda. And then we ask for his blessing upon it. Rather than reading his word, praying to know what his agenda is for the church, for my family, or for my life, and walk in his path. He leads. We follow. And as he leads, he uses us for his glory. Follow and I will make you become fishers of men. This is important. Notice Jesus doesn't say, uh, follow me and I will make you judges of men. Wouldn't that be great? Follow me and I will make you condemners of men. Hmm. Why doesn't he say that? Instead, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, not judges, not condemners. On one of our recent trips in past years across the country, maybe it was last year, we went to the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. I don't know if I told you this already, but we were there. We enjoyed our time. We were, at this, uh, we were able to see one of the gospel music shows there. It was a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Uh, to hear gospel music, but the fellow who was introducing this, this band that was going to play, he was host of that. He was saying something about our current culture, and um, he was continually making jokes about, um, you know, as we were gathered here for gospel music, he, he was continually making jokes like, um, you know, here, here we know, you know, the difference between a man and a woman, you know. Um, and boy, uh, you know, he'd say something, something like this, boy, you, you must be really foolish if you don't know the difference between the two. And how ridiculous are those who don't know which is which or who they are? And everybody's just uproarious laughter. Or wait a minute. What if, what if, what if one of those sitting there was in our current culture just struggling with who they are? And what if, because of all they've been told by the media and pop culture and government schools, they're not sure what it means to be a man or a woman, and maybe they're there. Is a Christian called to be a, a laugher at men? Or a fisher of men? Praise God he fished you out of your sin. Praise God he fished me out of my sin. He didn't just come by and uh, laugh at me when I was 19 years old. <laughs> Or he didn't laugh at you, fished you out of your sin. Simon and Andrew, James and John, uh, they would be known as the sons of thunder. Despite their weaknesses, they'd be discipled by Jesus and they would become fishers of men. Men would be saved, women would be saved, children would be saved, pulled out of the sea of sin, given new life in Christ, followers of Jesus, fishers for Jesus, seeking to draw men and women and children to Christ, not repel them. We've followed him. He's glorious. We want others to come and follow him too. Well, this is how these men then were to see their lives. This is how we as Christians 
must see our lives, calling men out of the sea of sin and into the lifeboat, shall we say, of life in Christ. And so that's why you need to ask yourself this morning, what am I fishing for? What is my life all about? What am I, what am I going out trying to capture men to and women to? You know, what am I trying to convince them of? What am I looking for? Remember John 3:17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. So judgment, yes, condemnation, yes, that is coming, but it's not yet, the Bible says. It says today is the day of salvation. The fishing boats are still on the water. So we've looked at the profile of a kingdom disciple, the calling of a kingdom disciple. Lastly here, uh, what's, the, what's the response of a kingdom disciple to the call of Jesus? Verse 17 says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And followed him. Now, did you catch that little word uh, that uh, we said is so often used by Mark? Well, it's a little word in Greek. It's a big word in English. Uh, it's uh, eutheos in Greek. Uh, it is immediately or at once. Jesus calls. And verse 18 tells us the response is immediate. Jesus is calling them. What's he doing? Well, he's calling them to leave their nets behind. Leave their boat and father, and hired servants behind, come after him, remain with him as his disciples. Now, how do they respond to this? Well, they came immediately. And incidentally, there's no record here of, of Dad Zebedee complaining. Imagine Zebedee in the boat, saying, you're taking my sons. we got work to do. We don't hear about that. They go immediately. I suppose the response could have been different, you suppose? When Jesus comes calling, do you suppose the response might be different? I think it could. Leave our nets and follow you. We don't even know where you're going. Leave our nets and follow you. Wait a minute, what's for dinner? How are we going to provide for our families if we leave our nets here? How long is this going to take anyway? Do you mind if we, do you mind if we finish up first? You know, we've got a lot to do. A lot to do. Uh, what, do you, what do you actually have to offer? You know, what, what do I get for following you? Or, uh, well, think about it. I mean, can you, can you come back tomorrow? We'll be here again, we think. After all, fishing is what they knew. Following Jesus, well, who knows where that might lead? Um, just like we might have lots of questions that would keep us back from answering the call of Jesus. I mean, the fishing life was a pretty good life after all. What might following Jesus look like? They didn't know what was coming. What if he gets into trouble with the Pharisees or Sadducees? How's that going to look for us? Now, the point here, of course, is this. Jesus was telling these men that from now on, from now on, uh, Jesus had to be their absolute uh, priority. He would say it in a different way in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things like food and clothing, what's going to happen to your nets and so forth. 
Ah, uh, they'll be added to you. Friends, Jesus preaches a kingdom gospel, and we're called to be kingdom disciples. And to be a kingdom disciple means Jesus is your, is your, and has to be yours and my number one priority. His kingdom is your priority. That is, the rule and reign of Jesus is your priority. You want to see Jesus reigning and ruling over more and more of your life, more and more of your wife's life or your husband's life, your children's lives, uh, the life of the church uh, and the community. That's your highest priority. Even as you pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe I can put it this way. If Jesus, if Jesus has second place in your life, He has no place in your life. If He has second place in your life, that means He has no place in your life because there is in the pages of the Scripture no second place Jesus. The Jesus you're worshiping, the Jesus who's second in your life is a figment of your imagination. He does not exist. The only Jesus on the pages of Scripture is the one who, when He calls us, uh, He takes us holy. And He becomes our greatest passion and priority in life. As Paul would write in Colossians of Jesus, He's before all things, and in Him all things, all things hold together. You might think things are falling apart. No, all things held together in Jesus, and He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent, numero uno, first place, higher than all else, supreme. Those who follow Christ here in Mark 1, follow Him as, as Lord. Right? He speaks, and they come. He is their Lord. He is their King. And when kingdom disciples hear the call to leave what they are doing, here it's to leave their vocation, to leave their family connections even here, to follow Christ, the kingdom disciple follows. When Jesus calls us, He calls us to submit ourselves wholly to Himself. There's nothing you can do yourself to be saved. We believe that. We're completely dependent on the sovereign grace of God to fish us out of the world of sin, out of the mess we've created for ourselves. Only God can do it. Only Christ can call us. He not only calls us, but provides His Spirit then to, to draw us to Himself. Only He can save us. His life, His righteousness, His death, His resurrection. That's all of grace. And friends, when He calls us to Himself, when He draws us to Himself, He draws all of us to Himself. And we are called to give ourselves wholly to Him. And immediately, they left their nets and, and followed Him. You've heard of John Calvin. John Calvin's personal emblem was a picture of a heart held up in a hand with an inscription underneath. His motto of life was this, My heart I offer to you, O Lord. Remember the words? Promptly. And sincerely. That means immediately. And sincerely. May that be, for John Calvin, that was the idea. May that be uh, the heartbeat of his life. Lord, I offer my heart promptly. And sincerely. Kingdom disciples follow. That is, they leave all for him. And of course, the question for us is, have we done that? Now, he might call some of us to indeed leave this country. Leave, a, leave, a, leave the family, leave Zebedee to follow him and, and to be a missionary in a foreign land. 
But he might just call us to come and to follow him as a as a homemaker, as a uh, worker at the plant, as a uh, as a gardener, as a as a uh, garbage collector to uh, to follow him. But to in that work, in that whatever calling we have to make sure that he is getting first priority in our teaching, uh, in our mothering, in our fathering, in our baking, whatever it is that he would be that he would be first. And this is the wonderful call we find here in the Gospel of Mark. That God is calling ordinary men, ordinary women, uh, ordinary children uh, to follow Him, to come after Him, uh, and to do so in a way that they give their all to Him and they do it promptly. They do it sincerely. They do it knowing that they're following in the way of their Savior and of their Lord. And of course, kingdom disciples never have to fear that following Christ, you know, will somehow not lead to blessing. Don't ever think that that following Jesus as King and Savior and Lord will ever somehow leave you disappointed in the end. You remember Jim Elliott, martyr missionary to the Alka Indians in the 50s, said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, that is, this life, to gain uh, what he cannot lose, that is, new life. In Christ Jesus, said Jesus himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So don't ever think that following Jesus, coming after Jesus is somehow, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. No, the Bible says you follow Jesus, you come to Jesus and you find light, you find, you find life, you find blessedness, you find eternal life. And you will never lose in coming to Him. So that's the profile of the kingdom disciple, ordinary folks like you and me. The calling to follow King Jesus, be used of Him to draw others out of sin, to life in Christ. And the response of a kingdom disciple while here in His call, the call to follow the voice of our sovereign Lord who comes to give us life. So that way we would recognize, as Isaac Watts recognized in 1707, where the whole realm of nature mind, that were a present far too small. That's not enough. Love so amazing. He's called me. Love so amazing. So divine. Demands my soul. My life. My all. May that be true of me. May that be true of you. That we would find ourselves kingdom disciples following the king. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this passage of Scripture, Lord, we're, we're amazed at uh, who the Lord Jesus calls to follow Him. And yet, Lord, throughout the pages of Scripture, we find that we are simply broken men and women and children, those who have sinned against You, who are weak and helpless before You. And yet, Lord, You are pleased to take these clay pots, fill them with the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that we would not have anything to boast in of ourselves, but that we would have plenty to boast in of You and Your glory and Your goodness and Your grace and mercy. That we, as those who have ourselves been fished out of the sea of sin, O Lord, that You would give us eyes to see all those around us whom You would use us towards helping them out of the life of sin that they might come to see the glory and beauty of following this Savior. May it be true of us. May you build your church. May your kingdom come.
and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.